looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Definitely, this is where you get uh, the African perspective. And uh, a lot is happening on the African continent. And a story that a lot of people have been looking at, but not really hasn't been centralized in uh, the uh, conversation of uh, the African continent. And maybe it's because the Central African Republic is a country that is sometimes not really understood in terms of its context historically. And also sometimes it's conflated with the other uh, countries uh, such as uh, the DRC and uh, sometimes it's not seen separately in terms of the intrapolitics uh, there. But we're going to try and look at what's happening the latest which is the latest uh, issue of the peace agreement that has been signed and uh, are these uh, efforts to bring about uh, a peace uh, actually uh, yielding any results. We know last month the government of the Central African Republic and 14 armed groups signed a long-awaited peace agreement aiming to end the country's devastating civil war. While this is one of many peace deals signed in the Central African Republic, citizens shall have to wait and see the approach whether the deal will benefit them. Meanwhile, according to the United Nations uh, 2016 report, human rights violations increased by 70% in the country compared to a period covered by the first report in 2015. But what is very interesting in terms of what's happening there is that the country's president uh, uh, has to oversee uh, this very complex uh, uh, document that has been signed uh, with uh, 14 uh, armed groups and uh, referring to the president, Faustin Tuadera. Well, to assist us on this particular issue, we've got Katharina Wilson, who is a researcher at the History Department at uh, Leiden University, which is based in the Netherlands. And she just concluded a doctorate in conflict and mobility in Central Africa and the Democratic Republic of uh, uh, Congo. So she, we are joining her, I think, via Skype. Um, uh, she's joining us from the Netherlands. We also have uh, Caesar Boblix, uh, who is uh, joining us, uh, who is the East and Central African Project Manager of uh, Conciliation Resources. And uh, one of our resources here and a friend of uh, African Dialogue, we have Dr. Shingai Mutizwa Mangiza, who is a postdoctoral fellow at the Department of Political Studies at the University of the Western Cape. So we thank them all for making time for us. But let me start with you, Katerina, in terms of looking at the complexity of the situation right now, in terms of the issues of territorial battles in the Central African Republic. Can you give us a little bit of a backdrop of where we are currently and what has informed uh, uh, this uh, agreement uh, that is uh, being signed, the latest one that is? Yes, good morning and thank you for having me uh, with you. 
Um, I think it is important to um, remember that uh, uh, the majority of, of, the, of the Central African Republic, 80% of the country, is actually in the hands of rebel groups, meaning that the Central African uh, Army does not have, um, I mean, it's not in control of 80% of its own territory. Uh, for many people in the Central African Republic, the President Tuadera has only control of the capital and not not of what is happening beyond that. So taking that into, into account, it already um, shapes a very skewed balance between who is actually in, in charge, at least uh, uh, military. So mm, I think that's, mm. that's the first thing I, sure. I, I would like to uh, point out. Tell us a little bit what has informed that particular dynamic, as you've highlighted, that a large chunk of uh, the country is in the hands of armed groups and uh, you highlighted the fact that the control is about 80% of uh, the country. Why is the country having that kind of uh, a leadership battle and why are we seeing uh, the dominance of armed groups in the country, Katerina? Well, there are many reasons for that. Um, one of the reasons, for instance, is that uh, there has been an uh, arms embargo on the Central African Republic, meaning that uh, the, the army has uh, a more difficulty to access to arms, while the rebel groups, they have other means of uh, accessing to, to arms. Um, the Central African Republic is situated uh, between countries, uh, between Chad in the north, Sudan uh, at the east, uh, Congo uh, at the south, and the the, bo- the borders uh, between the Central African Republic in these countries are often very pro- porous, meaning that uh, you know um, arms can easily come in, in into the, the 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 Central African Republic. Um, another reason would be that. Um, the government is mainly present uh, in, in, in the capital and also on the, the axis that connects the capital to the border, uh, to the western border, to Cameroon. That's like a, a big axis going towards the, the, the ocean. Uh, but uh, in the rest of, 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 of the country, especially in the northeast and in the east, the, the government is, is not... Uh, um, it's not. It's, it's simply not there. So other other groups uh, that that has become armed groups have filled uh, the gaps. Um, yeah. All right, let me come to you, Caesar Publix, in terms of your thoughts around uh, this uh, contestation of uh, authority and power in the country that even uh, prevails today. Um, um, We've heard from Katarina a bit of a backdrop in terms of the current uh, situation right now. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you think is happening right now. Do you think this particular peace agreement uh, with these various uh, factors that have already been highlighted by Katarina will actually hold uh, due to the fact that this country is highly contested currently? Thank you for having me. Uh, I think in Central African Republic, like in other places, we are dealing with complexities, multiple complexities over decades. And there is a real disconnect between the countryside and the capital, as Katrina said. But it's mainly rooted in real and perceived marginalization of the countryside. Effectively, the, 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 the government exists in, in, in the capital, Bangui. And over, over many decades, 
communities have organized their security, their own economy, everything is actually a kind of community fending for themselves. So effectively, in 2013, these communities that developed their own security mechanisms uh, became rebels, and then they kind of joined together and formed a coalition called Seleka. They overthrew the government. There was no consistency. Each of these rebel groups are kind of demanding of governments the development and everything as individuals. But when they came to power as a group, they didn't have any consolidated authority to, 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 to manage the forces. So the indiscipline that actually was meted on the communities in the capital and the capital side in 2013, we are simply dealing with the impact of the violence now. So fear of losing power by some of these groups because they, it's, it's simply little community power that has got guns and have got small arms that they're able to extract taxes from communities. So it's become a system because of the disconnect between the countryside and the capital. So real marginalization and perception of marginalization. Thank you very much. Well, that's a very interesting uh, response there, Caesar. And I want to stay with you because you highlight something very interesting, taking us back uh, to 2013. I know even before that, uh, uh, before the coup of uh, Michel Jodotia, we also saw um, the um, coup d'etat against uh, Francois uh, Pozize, uh, who was there longer than Michel Jodotia, who was only in power for only a year or so. Um, what in forms this in um, capacity from even these rebel groups and I know that uh, you you highlighted some of those points but in terms of is it difficult for governments to to bridge alliances with uh, uh, far-flung communities Uh, what is happening here which also informs this militancy uh, from uh, these uh, marginalized groups uh, that you speak of Caesar? Yeah, as I said, Central African Republic is dealing with complexities. Mm-hmm. There is no linear solution to the Central African problem. It, it's, it's really dealing with a combination of individual armed commanders who are actually used to to trading, as Trina said, trading across the border. They probably have more connections in, in Darfur and Chad than Central African Republic capital, which is way down in Bangui. So, an economy, over the years, an economy has already been developed around small places, mining places, timber, elephant, the capital has just not got the, the complex mechanism. The, with the arms embargo that has been put on Central African Republic, it's just impossible for... We, we, we can't test any single Bozizé, Mifostin, We can't test one president with these complexities. It's a long conflict transformation mechanism that needs to be done. We are simply dealing with one section of the conflict transformation, and that is dealing with violence, ending the the violence, kind of, we we call it kind of of negative peace that that we are struggling to achieve. But the the actual root causes why from the journey from having no gun and for communities to have a gun to protect themselves, to having no gun, again, 
it's going to take a long, long time. Fear of losing power by some of these local commanders, a combination of armed embargo, and then real and perceived marginalization is a concoction of complexities that probably we need to kind of section what is it that the president can do, what the UN can do, what we can do as, as Africans, what we can do as the world. It is a conflict transformation approach that is actually required. If you sign the peace agreement in Rome by very high level government representatives, by by armed uh, leaders, and two, three days down the line, if ceasefire is broken, so the countryside and the Bangui is disconnected. Mm. Let me bring Dr. Shingai Mutizwa Mangiza, who's joining us um, at from the University of the Western Cape. Uh, Dr. Shingai Mutizwa Mangiza, thank you for giving us your time once again here on Channel Africa. We haven't spoken in a long time, so it's great to connect with you once again. Let's look at the current status quo, as both of our other guests have been elaborate in describing the context of the political situation, which is Katerina Wilson and Caesar Boblix. But we know that uh, the um, accord right now which was uh, signed on the 6th of February between 14 recognized army groups is set to actually try to uh, set a pace of a form of uh, renegotiation and also creating a form of uh, a way to reintegrate uh, the politics of the country. I know that there's also provisions of uh, disarmament, demobilization and the big issue that was also highlighted by the uh, two guess becoming a big problem which is the issue of national reconciliation what are your thoughts around this uh, uh, peace accord because it's not the first time we've seen uh, an agreement uh, being signed in the country between government and armed groups thank you benjamin uh, for having me back on the show and uh, it has been a long time and i'm glad to be back um just to reiterate what uh, my fellow interlocutors have been saying uh and is a uh, the situation, of course, uh, is very complex in the Central African Republic, and as you rightly pointed out, it's not the first time that uh, there have been attempts uh, to sort of, I think, uh, negotiate this. But I think what we also need to take into account uh, is the fact that uh, given the prevailing uh, context, as I mentioned, this idea of there being an arms embargo, uh, you know, I think, you know, the government in Bangui really hasn't got much leverage within which to, even if it wanted to, uh, push ahead and try to resolve this thing to, you know, militarily. It, that option is kind of closed off to it. Furthermore, I think it's the, the notion that uh, historically, if you think back to the former, the previous government, uh, the government of uh, Francois uh, Bossisse, he had relied a lot on the support of these other regional allies. He had relied on support from uh, Denisa Sungwesu in um, uh, Congo Brazzaville. He had relied on the support of uh, Chadian President Idris Deby. But uh, you know, when his, uh, you know, when he was ousted in um, 2013, uh, I think you found a situation whereby you know I think the the appetite for for conflict you know, uh, had kind of, you know, there was a certain level of fatigue. So I think, you know, even with, you know, you know, with the, the emergence of Seneca rebels and, you know, the subsequent collapse of those initial, um, you know, those initial uh, accords, 
I think it's very much informed by, you know, this this need to kind of press forward. And I think, um, you know, I think a lot of regional actors, uh, including, you know, former power France, are all, you know, uh, leveraging quite a lot of pressure that there needs to be some sort of agreement. So I think it's, um, you know, that's largely one of the reasons why I think, you know, this attempt, uh, you know, is being flushed out. Let's look at the agreement itself, um, Dr. Mutizo Mangiza, in terms of um, what it actually touches on in terms of its uh, comprehensive nature. Um, Could you just give us a little bit of a backdrop on it in terms of what it aims to actually do and does it actually appeal uh, to the various stakeholders in uh, its signing? Yes, I think um, the the agreement now, of course, uh, there have been a number of uh, sticking points. Um, of course, one of them is, you know, obviously one of the major implications, of course, uh, which I think there's no dispute on, is over this idea of some form of national unity. Uh, you know, this idea of creating some a government that would be representative, I think, of over the entire uh, population. Uh, of the Central African Republic. Uh, as you know, of course, and as my fellow contributors have said, is that this country is uh, very disconnected given the poor levels of infrastructure and, uh, you know, the, the remoteness of the periphery, you know, I mean, particularly the north and its connection to Bangui. I mean, it's, it's quite remote. So one of the senses that you need to is to try and sort of um, not only integrate at the political level, but also some sort of integration at, at least, you know, in as far as infrastructure. The other thing I think is also this idea as in this of uh, demobilization, reintegration, uh, de- de- demobilization, disarmament, and re- disintegration. Um, this has been uh, one of the, had initially been one of the sticking points, mm. but I think there's a, a sense that given the fact that, you know, the, the various rebel groups do control 80%, you know, of the, you know, of the state, uh, you know, that this obviously is a practical solution. Um, so I think that those are one of the, you know, one of the other key uh, points of the agreement. I think also to that is this notion, again, coming back to the issue of unity, one of the issues that had plagued uh, and that had contributed, I think, uh, extensively to the troubles in, uh, in the Central African Republic is this notion, again, as I said, of uh, inclusion. Remember, ethnicity has also been a big problem. In fact, that was one of the key problems that had affected the government of former President uh, Felipe Pakese. In fact, that's uh, in, in some instances that's possible. Uh, one of the reasons why he had actually uh, fallen afoul of many of the you know uh, people within the Central African Republic. So I think there's this sense that there should uh, be an end to this marginalisation, particularly of uh, you know uh, the north, uh, you know populations in the north who you know, just uh, you know, constitute a you know disproportionately actually poor, poorer than mm. the rest of the the country. Mm. Well, I want to take a quick break, and I want to bring that question back uh, to Caesar Publics uh, of uh, Conciliation Resources Giant. Joining us there on Skype, he's based in London, also from Netherlands. We've got Katerina Wilson, who's a researcher at the History Department of the Leiden University, and Dr. Shingai Mutizo Mangiz is also with us in this conversation. Let's take a quick break. We'll continue with this uh, conversation in terms of looking at the very fragile uh, political situation situation in the Central African Republic. 
Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengui C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Well, thank you for joining me, Benjamin Moshatama, on African Dialogue. This is Channel Africa that you're listening to. And uh, African Dialogue is where we contextualize the big issues on the African continent. If you're just joining us now, let me remind you who we have uh, in our studios in terms of the conversation we're having on the line in our panel discussion. Katerina Wilson is with us uh, from uh, the Leiden University. Caesar Boblix is joining us from Conciliation Resources and Dr. Shingai Mutizoma. Giza is also joining us. Uh, he is a postdoctoral fellow at the University of the Western Cape. Let me come to you, Katerina, in terms of this agreement for you. What are your thoughts on it and what is actually uh, going to keep uh, the process going in terms of what is entailed in uh, this agreement, which is the eighth uh, since uh, the country deteriorated politically uh, from the year 2012? Um, yes, um, I think I'm uh, very skeptical about uh, this agreement. As you just mentioned, it is the eighth in uh, six years' time. And already you have seen in the last uh, month and a half that uh, some of the uh, groups, the rebel groups that have signed the agreement, uh, have also expressed their, their uh, yeah, criticism and have also expressed the fact that they, they are not com- fully agree. So there, there have been already been amendments on the Khartoum Agreement. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very skeptical, even though I do want to be optimistic, because I think it's important to keep that. Uh, another point that, that, um, that is important to underline is that it's not only an agreement, it should not only be an agreement, ideally, between the, the, the government and the rebel groups, uh, but also uh, a civil society and, and opposition need to be represented, and, and they have been expressing uh, their grievances at the fact that they are not very much part of, of, of that agreement. So, for instance, I have worked with um, uh, student refugees from the Central African Republic, and what the, they always uh, criticize is, is the fact that they study they, they, in order to, to hopefully obtain jobs in the future within the government, but they, they feel that they, um, they, ha- they are always bypassed by, by people taking part in rebel groups who have, not, uh, who have taken up an, an easier road, taking up arms in order to enter, enter the government. Meanwhile, they are, they are being um, uh, put aside. So, so I'm, I'm skeptical. Do you think that uh, these issues are, that you highlight, um, Katerina, are informed by a scrambling of resources? Um, by resources, which you mean only natural resources? 
resources naturally, whether it's also jobs, uh, whether it's also uh, some form of also political influence in uh, the governing structures? Yeah, I think it it would be maybe too easy to uh, explain it in terms of natural resources. I think it it does play an important role. But as you say, if you would uh, include in the resources, um, for for instance, access uh, uh, into the the political spheres, access to to jobs, um, these are all all things to to take into account, definitely. Mm. Caesar, coming back to you, what also has been of concern in terms of this particular agreement is not only the facts that are highlighted by Katerina Wilson in terms of the fact that it's not just opposition members and civil society that are not integrated into the discussions that came to this latest peace deal, but also that there are also some key group armed group leaders that have not been incorporated into the discussions. What are your thoughts around this latest agreement? Caesar, are you there? Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. Well, sorry for that abrupt uh, um, uh, just uh, uh, obstruction there. We had to go to um, the a break just quickly. But I think we lost uh, Caesar Publix there uh, from uh, conciliation resources on our Skype. But let me bring back that question that I asked uh, before that uh, interruption to Dr. Shingai Mutizwa Mangiza. What, what are your thoughts in terms of what is highlighted by Katharina Wilson of her concerns around uh, this particular peace deal, Dr. Mutizwa Mangiza, and also the fact that uh, what I've added onto that, that there's some criticism, that there's some critical armed group leaders that have also not been consolidated into the conversations of the latest uh, agreement. Yes, that's true. I think I, I am kind of, uh, I am also quite skeptical about, um, you know, the the prospects for peace. As uh, Katharina rightly mentioned, I mean, this is the eighth attempt uh, at a peace deal. And one of the, immediately when one begins to look at it, is that you begin to see that there are also a number of uh, a couple of mistakes that have been made. Like one, one of the key uh, issues that has been there, particularly as it concerns this idea of the inclusive government, is that um, you know a number six of the groups, you know, of the Seneca rebel that constitute the Seneca rebel group, essentially have been excluded. And one of the contentious issues is that in the initial list produced from the Khartoum Agreement, is that these you know there have been no cabinet positions reserved for them. So this obviously has created, uh, you know, a sense of tenseness in, in the sense that it may only serve to accentuate, 
this, you know, a certain level of mistrust, you know, and there's already a level of mistrust that exists. So the fact that there's this already an element of exclusion taking place at the, you know, at the level of the negotiation, you know, that obviously does not all go well. I think secondly, the other um, issue that's there, you know, has to do with this issue of amnesty. You know, I think that's the other contentious issue. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the, 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 the groups that are party to the agreement are calling for, uh, you know, are calling for some sort of amnesty. What we do know is that there's been an agreement on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. However, of course, you know, there's been this provision that the most serious crimes that constitute uh, international crimes or crimes against humanity will not be subjected to amnesty. And yet, within this context, given years of protracted violence, um, it's difficult, you know, particularly when you have groups that control 80% of the country. Um, it becomes difficult to say that there is no, uh, that there will be very little amnesty, you know, given, or that this amnesty will be qualified subject to this. So I think it's, it's a very, you know, it's a very delicate, uh, very delicate situation when you look at it that way. Um, Again, in terms of, uh, you know, what should, you know, in, in terms of justice, in questions of justice, should there be an element of restorative justice? Should there be, you know, more um, conventional, you know, approaches to justice? I think these are some of the issues that I think uh, are being uh, discussed, but which, again, are not, you know, have not been uh, clearly agreed upon. And I think uh, these need to be dealt with because, as you're saying, the, the situation is that the, the government in Bangui really, uh, you know, doesn't control much territory beyond the capital. And so I, I think, you know, uh, you know it's, um, there's going to have to be a lot of give and take. But having said that, you will remember that, you know, in 2015, 800, uh, you know, representatives from civil society, this constitutes human rights groups, members from political parties, these are the ones who have also said that there should be no amnesty. So I think it's a very complex situation, and I think um, uh, I think it would be foolish for us to expect some sort of quick fixes uh, to the problem. I think it's going to involve uh, you know a very long and probably you know uh, have you know deliver uh, you know um, drawn out discussions, and, and they really just need to hammer down and hammer out these contentious issues. I don't see a way out. But mm-hmm. as I said, right now, mm-hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a level of mistrust and, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, contention that, that is not all going well at the moment. Caesar, your thoughts there in terms of this current piece still, there's a lot of critical viewpoints coming from Katharina Wilson and Dr. Shingai Mutizo Mangiza, as we've just heard around the nature of this uh, eighth agreement. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, let me throw in some, let me throw some positive things. I'm scratching my head for positive things. In this <laughs> sure. But what I'm simply saying is that we have uh, local peace communities we work with in all these various places. One thing that they have noticed, the difference in these three stops, that there was a slight drop in violence for at least a week or two. So to me, what, what I am actually suggesting is that we should know that whoever is, me- is helping the mediation of this process know that process process is as good as the signature. So, to what extent uh, do the local commanders of these armed um, groups actually know what is taking place in Khartoum? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, to what extent are, are, they, are, they, are they, the, the commanders connected to their leaders who are signing these agreements? Mm-hmm. So to me, the forward momentum needs to be building on this. Process is as good as putting a signature on because to what extent, if, if the process has missed out the local commander understanding the national processes, who is there to inform him? This is where we are actually saying that Katrina talks on the issue of civil society. They have civil society is like a hundred and one views. But the, the forward momentum by government and African leaders, including retired presidents, it is more of personal relationship. The president of Central African Republic, a few African leaders, please, somebody after the signing of this agreement, can you verify that they, the local commanders understand these things? Hmm. Can somebody verify this? Can somebody verify that, that they understand them? Can somebody verify or at least develop some kind of one-to-one relationship between the president and, 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 the, and the commanders? The 90% of the understanding of President Faustin is more rumors. They have, they have never, never met him. They don't know him personally. The personal relationship is not there. It's more of hanging on to this fear. So my conclusion is process is as good as the signature on paper. Before you make your final conclusion, Caesar, I also want just to ask issues around governance. Maybe, you know, should the country reimagine its uh, government structures and the way it governs on the ground just because of the nature of the politics? Maybe can have a multi-leadership um, mechanism that it invents that is uh, very unique to the country. I don't know, I'm thinking out of the box here. Yes. Yeah, but the thing is, I, I still go back to the same thing. These challenges, need, these kind of questions need to be answered together with the armed groups. Sure. What is it? What is your view? What is your the, what is your view of the future? Because these these people are in their comfort zone, and breaking that comfort zone is going to be a long time. As the good doctor said, mm. it's going to be a long time. But we need to find a modest challenge. To, 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 to the rebel groups. And I think African Union leaders are beginning to send these messages that Central African Republic might, might have an embargo, but is there some kind that African leaders can mobilize in stop, at least some kind of managed stability? Hmm. But, but these discussions is not like Faustin, the president, has got a magic, a magic, a magic solution. Hmm. Several groups need to be challenged to also sit as a process, take away the violence. The alternative to violence needs to be, in terms of solving the problem of Central African Republic, an alternative to violence needs to be uh, 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 our, our, our task now. What, what is it? If, if, if a rebel leader is, is not, not actually in agreement with the Khartoum peace agreement, Mm. Is, is in a kind of alternative. Mm. I want to also just uh, throw that uh, question to you again, Katharina, that I asked uh, Caesar. I know it's a bit of a, uh, a random and almost like kind of a futuristic offbeat question in terms of how the country in its mediation can actually rethink maybe the structure of unorthodox governance. Do you think that can be an option? And what are your thoughts in terms of how Caesar responded to that question that I posed to him in that light? 
Well, I think um, there is a need for the, um, the, dis- the, the, the the society and the government are, are disconnected, sure. right? And I think there is a need to restore that disconnection, to restore a connection between those who rule the country, uh, um, the government, but in a way also the, the rebel, rebel groups who rule the country through the arms, uh, restore that disconnection with those who are ruled by, by the rulers. And I think if we are looking at, 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 at solutions and at accords, it's, it's important to take into account that this needs to be long-term and uh, bottom-up grassroots, so top-down accords, uh, peace accords mm-hmm. or top-down elections like they took place a couple of years ago in the Central African Republic will not lead to a long-term solution. Mm. It needs to be inclusive beyond just the rebel groups, beyond the government. It needs to touch upon all layers of society. Dr. Shingai, let me give you uh, uh, your last sentiments in our final minutes. Yes, I, I think I, I tend to agree. I think that any lasting peace would have to be very comprehensive and it has to have the buy-in of the population at large. It cannot just be a case of elite pacts. Because so long as the you know underlying conditions that lend themselves to conflict, and Dr. Shingai, sorry to interrupt you there. And when we talk about the elite pact, we're also including uh, the armed groups themselves. Yes, I'm talking about the commanders. I'm talking about the those who are signatories to the agreement, uh, essentially. Because remember, one of the issues is there's a lot of horse trading vis-a-vis positions and that sort of thing being in cabinet. So I mean, so long as you know any peace accords are based on that, uh, you know, the interests of elites and not really taking into account the, you know, the concerns and the aspirations and the grievances of the broader population, I think it's ill-fated. Uh, remember, the CAR is one of the poorest countries in the world. We're talking about, you know, it's, in 2006 it was rated uh, 172 out of 176 out of the Human Development Index. So I think, you know, it's dealing really with, uh, you know, the fundamental issues you know, things about providing uh, material, the material, satisfying the material needs of the population, schools, hospitals, roads. You know, uh, I mean, if the government is supposed, if any government authority is supposed to have, hope to claim some sort of legitimacy, it must also focus on the developmental aspects. So I think it has to be comprehensive beyond just peace accords. It must also be around a framework for development into the future, or at least there must be some program to that extent. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Shingai Mutizwa Mangiza joining us from the University of the Western Cape. He's a postdoctoral fellow at the Department of Political Studies. Thank you as well to Caesar Public, who is an Eastern African or rather Central African project manager at Conciliation Resources. Last but not least, thank you to Katerina Wilson, research at the History Department of the Leiden University. Thank you all for giving us your time. Thank you for having us. Oh, thank you.